The FT. Money. Chinese investors are losing it. George Osborne is juggling it. Greece is running out of it, and Microsoft's chief executive is too busy talking about ecosystems, DNA, and magical things to even mention it. I'm Henry Mance, and this is Best of the FT Podcast, a wrap-up of our best coverage from the past seven days. On this show, we'll be talking about China's stock market bubble, the Conservative Party's plan for a higher minimum wage, what's new in Greece's search for a bailout, and what's wrong with Microsoft's phrase, tough choices. We start in China, which is seeing one of the world's biggest ever stock market booms and busts. More than $2 trillion has been wiped off the value of Chinese companies in the past few weeks. The Chinese government, which has defied the odds on so many occasions, is desperately trying to stop a collapse in share prices. Here's a taste of how worried the government is from the FT's investment editor, James McIntosh. It's banned selling entirely, at least by large shareholders and directors. The government also appears to be printing money to buy shares, perhaps the ultimate in price support. And some of the biggest stocks showed signs of intervention. Josh Noble, our Asia market correspondent, asked financial analysts in Hong Kong to put the bubble in context. One view is that money in China has been too cheap for too long. Here's Erwin Samp, an analyst at Morgan Stanley. Well, I think the Chinese equity bull market was a byproduct of all the easing measures that they took last year and early this year to support the property market. So I think in all of this um, sort of retracement we're having in the equity market, it's good to remember that the main game is still the property market, which in China is the de facto bond market. To discuss what's happening in China, I'm joined by Robert Armstrong, head of the FT's corporate finance column, Lex. Now, Robert, China's government is doing everything it can to keep this bubble going. Can a government do that? Can it just keep the stock market rolling? Well, the stock market stopped going down today. So apparently it can. The question you have to ask is whether it's still a market when the Chinese government is done with it. In other words, now we have a market where half of the shares by value don't trade, where the executives and board members of a lot of the big companies are being encouraged to buy, where the government itself is buying, where short sellers are being threatened with prosecution. Does that sound like a market to you? It sounds like a place where prices don't go down. Sounds like a great place to invest. If yeah. you, uh... <laughs> you gotta, it's, it's very safe indeed. But uh, so it is possible for governments to control prices. This is a well-established fact. It is also a well-established fact that there are unintended consequences of doing that. And if China doesn't want to risk those unintended consequences, it's going to have to slowly loosen its grip on this market and hope that by the time it does, the panic has subsided and the shares will stop falling. And does this mean bad things for China and the Chinese economy. We know it's not growing as fast as it used to, but a lot of people just see this as sort of hived off. This isn't really part of what's going on in China. Can you have this kind of stock market action and it not affect your real economy? It has to affect the real economy. The question is one of degree. The size of the Chinese stock market relative to the Chinese economy is not as large as, say, the U.S. stock market is relative to the U.S. economy. But clearly, a lot of personal wealth was in the stock market. When people have less wealth or they think they have less wealth, they spend a little bit less money. We'll have to see how profound those effects are. Hopefully, they will be small. But there's also another factor here, which is how does what has happened in the last couple of weeks affect confidence in the country and specifically confidence in the managed economy itself? 
do you believe in government-led economic reform in China when the government is manipulating the stock market to keep asset prices high? This is very much a repudiation of the talk the government's been making for the last several years about introducing more market prices into the economy rather than less. Great. Robert, thanks very much for joining us. Sure. In the UK, Chancellor George Osborne surprised almost everyone this week by introducing what he called a living wage, effectively a higher minimum wage. Why was it so surprising? Well, partly because raising the minimum wage was a proposal of Ed Miliband's, the Labour leader who lost May's general election. Miliband wanted a rise to more than £8 by 2019. Osborne is going even further, probably to over £9. So what's the strategy? Janan Ganesh, our political commentator, explained. He's outbidding even Ed Miliband, a left-wing leader of a centre-left party. So he's hoping that the shock value of doing that, the Conservatives doing an unconservative thing on wages, will overwhelm some of the, the, some of the harsher stuff he's doing in this budget, namely real terms cuts in tax credits, that is income supplements, for almost the entirety of this parliament. And he, he hopes voters will notice the living wage bit and maybe not notice the tax credits element to quite the same extent. So a bit of giving with one hand, taking away with the other. Like every budget. Now, George Osborne isn't just raising wages, he's also raising taxes too, bringing in an extra £47 billion a year, according to calculations by the Office for Budget Responsibility. Here's Janan Ganesh again. You have to dig into the figures to realise this is happening, because the optics, the things that will get noticed, are uh, the squeeze on tax credits, maybe the corporation tax cut, but uh, underneath, in much more disguised ways, he is really raising quite a, quite a bit of money now. So far, the Chancellor has been the face of austerity and fiscal discipline. But this budget may be an attempt to show him as Mr Nice Guy. The national living wage really does have the potential, I think, to change how his party is seen and how he is seen. And that puts him at an advantage if in three or four years' time he decides to challenge for the leadership of his own party. Now to Greece, where the government is running out of time and the banks are running out of cash. But hold on, hasn't that been the case for years? What's new about the latest deadline from EU leaders? Over to Ferdinando Giuliano, our economics correspondent. With the European Central Bank having refused to increase the amount of emergency liquidity it provides to the bank, I think there is a natural time limit, and that natural time limit seems to be Sunday. And that's why, even though... In theory, they could still kick the can down the road and maybe they will find a way. I imagine this time is really different. Although Greece's problems are economic, they are also intensely political. It seems that at the moment, the politics is really against Greece. Very few, if not basically no mainstream politician in Europe at the moment has any incentive to make big concessions to Greece. And that's because Angela Merkel in Germany and all the other prime ministers of creditor states face a backlash from voters at home in case they conceded. And the natural allies of Greece, so the likes of Spain, Portugal, or even Italy, just face a big challenge at home in case they give in, because that means that their accommodating stance vis-a-vis Germany has failed, because Tsipras has just shown that by being hard on Germany, you win. So it's only France and it seems Cyprus at the moment to be on the side of Greece. I suspect that's too little. If Greece doesn't get a deal, it will soon face a hard choice about whether to try to continue using the euro, a currency that it cannot print. Tax revenues are bound to be coming in 
more slowly than before. That means that the Greek government may not have very soon enough cash to pay its civil servants, its pensioners. What do they do then? Well, they will need to start paying in a new currency. Finally, there's no easy way to hear that your company is in trouble and that you may be losing your job. Even so, it surely doesn't have to be as hard as Satya Nadella, Microsoft's chief executive, made it sound in his latest email to colleagues. Lucy Kellaway, our management columnist, despaired of Nadella's choice of words. His was the usual mishmash of platforms, drivers, ecosystems, aligns, DNAs and going forwards, as well as some more ambitious combinations such as extend our experience footprint. This is what routinely passes for CEO communication in corporate America. If you were a Microsoft employee reading Nadella's email, it took a while to come to the bad news. After a lot more evangelical posturing, Mr Nadella slips into his final paragraph two words that finally mean something. Tough choices, he warns, will soon have to be made using the very same words that Lord Hall of the BBC chose last week when he said that a thousand jobs were to go. This is the latest CEO euphemism for firing people and is one of the most disingenuous. Tough choices implies this hurts me more than it hurts you, while at the same time suggesting that the CEO has automatically made the right choice. The non-firing option would have been even worse. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Friday. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com.